All right, well, church, good to see you this morning. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Jonathan. I'm the worship pastor here. I'm blessed by an opportunity to, to launch a series. We were supposed to do this last week. You missed out on Pastor Brian, but, um, but I'm going to continue it this morning. I'm not going to try and steal a bunch of his content because he said he's going he's gonna to take his message and preach on the passage in Christmas, on Christmas Eve. So uh, we're blessed to be here together, guys. We are starting a series called Fulfilled. And um, this, is, this is a whole, whole um, three weeks of, of sessions that we're going to just spend on going back to the beginning of the story of redemption and seeing through the Old Testament the prophecies that were given through the prophets that have been fulfilled in Christ and how we can see because of their fulfillment we can trust our God today. And uh, so I hope you're ready to, to join with me this morning. If you're ready to hear God's word, say, I'm ready. All right, well, let's jump into the Word of God this morning. This time of um, time that we have together in these three weeks before Christmas, actually the four weeks before Christmas, is known as the season of Advent, actually. And uh, historically, this has been a time to recognize and remember the hope that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so my hope for, for you this Christmas with your family, um, wherever you find yourself, is that you're able to take these next three weeks before Christmas and, and anticipate what Jesus has done for us, in sen- what God has done for us in sending His Son, and to recognize that His promises have been fulfilled and He will be faithful in the future. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That's where we're going to start off this morning. And I promised Pastor Conover I wouldn't spend too much time here because he is coming back here on Christmas Eve this year, and we're excited about that service. But uh, we want to go back to the story of redemption right at the beginning. And the story of redemption actually does not begin in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It actually begins at the moment of creation. So Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we know as, as the accounts of creation, God out of darkness uh, creates the world out of nothing. In the beginning, there was God. God created the heavens and the earth. He created, he created all the animals and livestock and, and all the, everything that we see. And in chapter 2, we see that God created Adam and, Adam and Eve. And he gave them one rule. He said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And guess what? We all know what happened. They failed to obey. Uh, Satan came in the form of a serpent, tempted Eve. Eve ate. And then Adam, in, knowing, knowing and not being deceived, he even ate from the fruit as well. And so because of that, sin entered into the world. And uh, we see from that moment their perfect relationship with God was broken. In an instant, after they disobeyed the word of God, their fellowship was broken, peace was shattered, creation was thrown into chaos. Darkness, depravity, fear, selfishness, all these things flooded the human heart, our sin separating man from God. And so since then, and even through today, we have been living in a world that is full of sin, that is cursed with the curse of sin. It's dire, we feel hopeless sometimes, but know today there is hope. And the, the story of the garden does not end with the curse for man's rebellion. It actually ends with a promise for his redemption. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is where we actually hear the gospel for the very first time. 
And it's the words in what God spoke to the serpents. And if we're, if we're not careful, we can, we can gloss over these words and, and lose their meaning. But let me just read them for you, and they'll be up on the screen as well. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God says to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In this one short verse, we see God's plan of redemption. The first promise that we see our Savior fulfilled. He announced it right here at the beginning of creation. And, and since then, the anticipation of a Savior began. The story of the garden does not end with the curse for man's rebellion, but a promise for his redemption. In this verse, we see the Savior's coming announced in his incarnation, his coming in flesh. We see that his sufferings and death are anticipated. He shall bruise your heel. But ultimately, what we see is Christ's victory over Satan, that he shall bruise your head, delivering the fatal blow to the head of the serpent and thus defeating Satan's power. The story of the garden does not end with a curse for man's rebellion, but a promise for his redemption. If you want to know more, come on Christmas Eve. Okay, Pastor Conover is going to cover it. But since that moment, since that first promise was given, we see that the, that the hope of our Savior, Jesus Christ, was, was hinted at. And there were shadows and whispers of his coming throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of, all of the Old Testament. And many of those promises, God spoke through to the prophets. And so some of these, some of these prophets came through them. Other, other, other anticipations of the Savior were revealed through that, that uh, our Savior would be born through the line of David, were revealed through a people. God even made promises to a man named Abraham that through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And ultimately what he was referring to was not a people group blessing the world, but one man, Jesus Christ, coming from his line. It was also revealed that, that our Savior would be born of the tribe of Judah in the town of Bethlehem. And, and these promises were spoken of from generation to generation. People waited and watched expectantly. Even when they went to the temple and offered sacrifices, they were expecting that one day an ultimate sacrifice would come and deliver them from their helpless estate. Now, did they understand all the all the words of the prophets, I would say no, they didn't. But what they did understand is that they were helpless and in need of a rescuer. They knew that the way that they were living, their sins separated them from a holy God. And so one place that I, wanna, I want to take you to is to the book of Isaiah. It's in your bulletin. It's, it's the passage of Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to be in Isaiah 9 today for the rest of our time together. And then uh, Pastor Dallas, next week, he's going to jump off of Isaiah chapter 7 and then into the New Testament. And um, just to give you a little bit of introduction to this book of prophecy, it was written 700 years before Christ. That's a long time. It's even, even hard to, to, to fathom 700 years for ourselves. But this is, this is the period of time when Isaiah the prophet wrote. It's actually called the fifth gospel. 
because Jesus Christ quoted it so much in Isaiah's words, even though they're words of judgment to the Israelites during that time, they're also filled with so many words of hope and expectation. Isaiah's name means this, Jehovah saves, Jehovah saved, and he ministered to Israel over 50 years during the reigns of four different kings. Uh, during the, the period of the, the northern kingdom and their captivity under the Assyrians, and then to the southern kingdom and their rebellion against God. And his mission was to call people to turn back to the Lord, to repent and stop worshiping the idols of the nations around them. He was also given messages of the coming judgment if they failed to return. And we're going to see some of that here in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. In chapter 8, just right before it, he announces that the Assyrians are going to be invading, that they're going to take over and they're going to be under captivity. But then in chapter 9, we see that there is hope in the midst of this despair. So read with me, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. And um, we're going to just take it verse by verse and, and try and understand this prophecy. It's a little bit hard at some points for us to understand, but I think you'll recognize these first words. Isaiah 9, 1. But nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. This verse begins by describing what God is going to do in a specific area. Now, we would, we would know this area as part of the promised land. It'd be actually the northern part of the promised land, the northern kingdom during that time. But he talks about these territories of Zebulun and Naphtali, okay? And these actually represent the, the northern part of the kingdom, Israel. And many years, for many years, these people actually rejected God. They turned to worshiping the, the gods of the nations around them. The prophet Isaiah and other prophets called them to repent, to turn from their sin, and to follow God. But because of their refusal, God humbled them by giving them over to their enemies to serve the nations around them. These were pretty dark days that they were living in. And so in the midst of these dark days, these hopeless days, where they're not ruling their own area that God had, had given to them, promised to them, here comes Isaiah with a message of hope in the midst of despair. And that's, that's part of what I want you to know about this passage in Isaiah. Sometimes when we go through the Thanksgiving season or the Christmas season, it can bring out some of, some of the struggles that we're really going through, whether it's family conflict or, or financial difficulty or struggle with, with, um, with work. Um, there, there's just different areas that, that getting together with family or trying to even buy Christmas presents brings out because it's just like there's a lot more stress during this time. Maybe we're around people more that, that maybe we've been having trouble with. And so what I want you to know is even though you may be going through something painful, maybe there's conflict in your family or maybe there's, there's sadness from feelings of loss this past year, um, what I want you to know is Isaiah spoke right into these moments for us. And so I want you to hear them from that perspective. These are people that were hopeless. They were lost. 
they're feeling like, we, we don't have a future. I don't have a future. You may be feeling that today. But hear these words, that these are words of hope. And they're the words of the Messiah, that Jesus is coming. Okay? And so he speaks about this area that's hopeless, these people that are hopeless, and says, God is going to bless you. God is going to come right to this place. And you know what? He did. He did. This is something I didn't even realize as I was studying the passage, but these words are actually quoted in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to throw them up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. I don't want you to get off track, but I'm going to just quote you Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Right when Jesus was beginning his ministry, he fulfilled this prophecy. It says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, and he went to live in Capernaum which is by the lake in the area, catch this, Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Wow. Our Savior, one of these first prophecies that he fulfilled in his public ministry was this one. He came to bless these people that were hopeless. And he didn't just come for them. He came for all people. He came to meet these people where they were in their place of hopelessness and even still their rebellion. And it shows us the words of, of what, what, what it says in Romans that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. He came for us. He came for you, even in, in the midst of your rebellion, even in the, in the midst of your hopelessness. He died for us. And so he came to redeem and restore these people and all the people of the world. And that's why we say the story of the garden, for starting right from the beginning, doesn't end with the curse for man's rebellion, but the promise for his redemption. And Jesus Christ brought that. Keep on going to verse 2. Verse 2. Are we getting warmed up here? Verse 2, Isaiah is also quoted here in the book of Matthew, and we just read these verses in Matthew as a quotation, of how Jesus came and the birth of Christ was a fulfillment that Christ would bring light to a dark world. Isaiah 9 verse 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. See, the coming of the Messiah was referred to as light. Jesus actually himself referred to himself as the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's John 8, verse 12. And that's who Jesus is. It's like if this room was completely dark and there was a candle lit in the middle of it, all of our eyes would be would be looking at that because, because he'd be the only light in a dark place. And that is who Jesus is. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever follows him will be saved. And that's what Jesus is. He's the light in the dark world, the hope in the midst of gloom. Keep on going. Verse 3. You've enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. He says, you've enlarged a nation, you've increased their joy. The ministry of the Messiah would bring joy and gladness to Israel. 
Jesus even said that his ministry was like having a wedding party, okay? And, and back then, their wedding parties lasted for days. They weren't like our wedding parties today, okay? He said this is an ongoing celebration, something that, that we get excited about and, and engaged in. And, and we dance and we celebrate and we cheer and we drink and all this stuff and even do things that we shouldn't do, okay? But Jesus says, that's, that's what my coming is going to be like. It's going to be a celebration. He goes on. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest. I've got relatives down in, in Holland, and they run a family farm, and they were struggling this year. I don't know how many of you have, have a farm or were struggling with, with taking in the harvest, and I think they got most of it in this year, praise God. But it was a rough year because of the fields. And, and I saw them posting on Facebook every single day of the harvest. It had already snowed, and then the snow melted, and they could, the fields dried out, and they could harvest. And it was like they were just elated because all their work was paying off. It was a time to take in the bounty. That's what the coming of Jesus is like. Keep on going. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Okay? A celebration of victory. It's like, like if you've ever played football and, and you come into the locker room after winning a game or the championship game. I mean, everybody's going crazy, okay? That's what he says it's going to be like. Verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, a bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Now, if you know the scripture, you'll probably recognize where this comes from. As in the day of Midian's defeat, he's referring to the story of Gideon. And remember how Gideon defeated Midian, right? It was a miracle. I mean, he had like, I don't know how many thousand men, but God whittled them down to a group of 300 men that they surrounded the, the, the camp of the Midianites and broke their jars and shouted and their torches came out and all the Midianites killed themselves, okay? That's what happened, okay? It was just, he said, it's a miracle. He says, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, okay? The Messiah's coming will be like that. He's going to shatter the yoke of our sin. He's going to free us from our oppressor. That is the same kind of victory. The one that, that Gideon had, that's going to be the same kind of victory that Christ will have, but in a much bigger way, much bigger way. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Now this reference, every warrior's sandal, every garment rolled in blood, kind of weird language, will be used as burning and fuel for fire. What does that even mean? Well, if you're fighting a battle, if, if you're an army that's won the battle, guess what? Everybody else is dead okay, or destroyed, okay, and so you're taking their sandals, you're taking their garment that's full of blood, um, what else was there, I mean, all this stuff, you're gathering up, and you're just dumping it all in a pile, and you're burning it, the victory is won, the battle is over, we're celebrating, that's what it means, okay, here's why, verse 6, here's words that you're going to be familiar with, for to us, for to us a child is born, to us the Son is given, and the government will be on His shoulders, and He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
the phrase for us and then, and then to us means for our benefit. The baby was given to us and for us. You know, God is for you. He sent his son for us. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. These are words of hope today. For us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Notice, talks about his humanity. A child is born. And his deity, a son is given. The son of God became flesh. He is God with us. That is who our Savior is today. And on top of that, the government will be upon his shoulders. Now, some took that to mean that, um, to think that our Savior was going to come in and overthrow the, the Roman government or maybe the Assyrian rule at that time. Maybe that's what they thought. But that's not what our king came to do. No, our king rules over not just the kingdoms of this world, but over all of creation. He's not, not uh, his, his eternal kingdom is the one that is going to last. He rules over all. That is our God. Keep on going. It says, he will be called. He will be called. Could translate it, he will justly bear this name. Wonderful counselor. He's profound. Mighty God, he is powerful. Everlasting Father, He is eternal and Prince of Peace. He is our peace. He is peaceful. He brings peace to our soul and peace to us with God. Of the greatness of His government and peace, keep on reading, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That means is he will rule for all of eternity. Handel, as he wrote the Messiah, if you've sung in a choir before, he, 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 he wrote these words and he was right about them. And he shall reign forever and ever. Right? Remember that? Yeah. Our God is going to reign upon his throne forever and ever. His rule will have no end. Upon the throne of David, Jesus will rule on David's throne over his kingdom. It's a fulfillment of the promise given in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm going to stop there. We could keep on going. It gets a little more involved. But you know, what I, what I want you to take away as we began by saying is that the story of the garden doesn't end with the curse for man's rebellion. No, it ends with the promise for his redemption. And I kind of wonder as, as we've seen this promise given Isaiah to a people that are hopeless, you may be feeling that way too. And what I, what I want you to know is you don't have to feel hopeless anymore. Put your faith and trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the world, and he's, he's the hope that Traverse City needs. He is. He is. Let's take this gospel. Let's take these prophecies fulfilled. Let's take his word, and let's bring it to a lost and dying nation. See, we don't have to leave here hopeless. We don't have to leave here helpless. Let's rejoice today 
we are on the other side of that promise. We are. Christ has come. He has made peace for us with God through his blood shed on the cross. He's the light in this dark world. And as we celebrate Christmas, we want to proclaim that message that the angels did. The story of the garden doesn't end with a curse for man's rebellion, but a promise for his redemption. For you today, Jesus can be your wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For you and for everyone now. And one day, these things will be fully reality when Christ returns to take his kingdom for his own. But for now, they're real for us and for those who submit to him. So I want to just ask you as we close, have you received him? Have you trusted him? Have you put your faith in him today? Have you repented of your sins and said, Lord Jesus, would you save me? I want to live under your rule and your reign. You are king. I want to stop living a life of hopelessness. I want to have you, Jesus, the hope of the world. Why don't I pray with you? And let's close our service in that way of just committing our life to the Lord. And if you want to take some of this time in quietness to pray, pray out to God to receive him, I encourage you to. Today is the day of salvation. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Father, I thank you that as we go to your word today, we see, Lord, for even a people who are in the middle of gloom, doom, despair, God, that you spoke a message of hope. And it's the same message of hope that we have today. And so, Lord God, I just pray, Lord, for those that are here that may not have received you as their Savior, God, that today they would realize that you are the light of the world and that you promise that to all who receive you, to those who believe on your name, you gave the right then to become children of God. Lord, I thank you that your promise is open. Your cross is, is available to all of us. Lord, your salvation is free to all. So Lord, we just pray, Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving us, we want to be your children. We want to walk with you. And we want to proclaim this hope to this dying world. Thank you, God, that the story of the garden did not end with a curse for man's rebellion. God, you took the curse for us and you promised us redemption. Thank you, God, that you are faithful and true to your promises. We love you. In Jesus' name.